1: through personal stories and candid conversations. I'm your host, Nico Perino, and today we have a very special so-to-speak extra for you. The first of its kind. We're going to continue our conversation about the Turkish government's crackdown on civil society and its persecution and prosecution of journalists, academics, government workers, and more that has come in the aftermath of that failed July 2016 government coup attempt against the Recep Tayyip Erdogan government. If you didn't listen to our first Turkey episode with journalist Mahir Zanalov, I recommend going back and listening to that podcast first. It'll provide some context and color for my conversation today with Middle East Studies Association President Beth Baron. Her organization, MESA, has been sounding the alarm bells about the threat to academic freedom posed by the Turkish government for quite some time now. They've been on a letter-writing spree, to say the least, and in August 2016, sent a letter to Secretary of State John Kerry regarding measures taken against Turkish universities and academics. I spoke with Professor Barron at her offices at the CUNY Graduate Center on Monday, January 9th. We spoke in New York City. And what follows is a conversation with her about the death of liberalism, or the potential death of liberalism and Turkey. And what her organization is doing to help scholars trapped in the middle of it. So here's our conversation with Professor Beth Barron. Professor Beth Barron, thank you for coming on the show today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So tell us a little bit about MESA.
0: MESA, the Middle East Studies Association, is an organization which just celebrated its 50th anniversary, uh, which is a collection of scholars from around the world whose work focuses on the Middle East. It's an interdisciplinary organization, so we have historians, political scientists, sociologists, people in literature, and so on.
1: And what are some of the main things that your organization does? I am looking here. Of course, this conversation is going to be about Turkey and Erdogan and the threat to academic freedom uh, that exists there. And three times, I I believe my uh, counting is correct, in the past year, your organization has sort of sounded the alarm bell about what's happening in Turkey. Once on August 19th, and I think that's the most recent time, uh, you sent a letter to Secretary of State uh, John Kerry earlier in January. uh, You sent a letter to, I believe, uh, a government institution in Turkey about a recent crackdown on academics who signed a... Peace petition of some sort, um, and then he put also put out a call to action so is this typical for your organization
0: okay so our, our organization um, hosts a, an annual meeting uh, which is uh, generally in November of a year, um, but in addition to hosting the annual meeting which in which we have panels and papers and so on on a range of issues, we also have a number of committees that uh, that uh, carry on with the work, and we have a board as well. the board issued um, those uh, the, the warning in the letter to, to John Kerry and so on that you've just mentioned, um, which was calling attention to issues um, pertaining to academics in Turkey, uh, the board has uh, issued similar sorts of calls or other calls around um, dangers for academics or risk to academics going to Egypt uh, and so on in, in in the wake of the killing of a uh, of a young. Graduate student there, um, but we also have in one of our most important committees is a committee on academic freedom, and this the committee on academic freedom has two branches. One branch is a branch that uh, focuses on North America, and this is headed by Zach Lachman at NYU. And the second branch is a branch that focuses on um, the Middle East and North Africa, and that branch is headed by Miriam Lowy. And the overall. Uh, uh, chair of both branches is Laurie Brandt, and uh, she's at USC. So the, the, the Committee on Academic Freedom generally in the past has issued um, you know perhaps up to a uh, half dozen to a dozen letters a year. It's kept its eye on infringements on academic freedom internationally or nationally. But in the past year, the committee issued uh, 15 letters on Turkey alone.
1: Well, there was a coup in Turkey.
0: All hell is breaking loose in Turkey right now. Explosions and
1: today, Turkey's president declared a three-month state of emergency. Where Last Friday, there was an attempt to overthrow the Erdogan government, um, it failed mm-hmm. uh, spectacularly.
0: Chance of Allah is great in Istanbul's Taksim Square. Supporters of Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan gathered to celebrate the failed coup.
1: And after that, he still clamped down on a lot of perceived or alleged dissidents um, using some very vague uh, laws, um, states of emergency, and caught up in, in this clampdown after the coup the were academics. <laughs> including school teachers, demanded resignations from over 1,500 university deans, and suspended around 8,000 police officers, along with nearly 3,000 judges and prosecutors.
0: So the, the Committee on Academic Freedom had actually had a long history of letters on, on Turkey, but had started its work on Turkey. Uh, a, a kind of, we've, we noticed a real um, uptick from January of 2015. And this was in response to the peace petition.
1: Over a petition criticizing a military crackdown on Kurdish activists.
0: That was signed by over a thousand academics. Basically saying not in our name, not in our name, these academics from Turkey came forward, most of whom were based in Turkey, some of whom were based outside, came forward and signed a petition which was basically calling attention to government actions in the southeast part of the country in the Kurdish region. Uh, and calling attention to the infringements of the human rights of people in the region, the crackdown on um, the curfews, the bombings, uh, and the crackdown on on the rights of citizens in that region. So the Committee on Academic Freedom of the Middle East Studies Association had, from the time of that petition uh, and the government crackdown on the signatories of the petition, had been writing letters. In January alone, we had four letters that were issued, in which we the committee began to trace travel bans on, on people. Uh, we had one student who was from, um, I believe he was based at University of Michigan. He had been in Turkey carrying out research, and he was not allowed to return to the United States. So we wrote two letters on his behalf. And this is Um,
1: separate from the petition, the petition signatories, or is this in conjunction with it? um, It's
0: this was separate, but but what the committee was also doing was tracking the growing uh, harassment Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and uh, and, and infringement of the rights of those signatories.
1: And I'm I'm looking at some of my notes here, and it said that there were about 1,100. Turkish academics, um, as well as some academics here in the United States, like Noam Chomsky, who had signed that petition. And uh, in response to the signatures, federal prosecutors opened investigations into all 1,128 scholars, Mm -hmm. if if I'm not mistaken. And uh, President Erdogan even went so far in a January 12th speech to say, I call upon all of our institutions, everyone who benefits from the state, but is now an enemy of the state. They must be punished without further delay. So, and then as a result, some of the these academics were detained, fired, or mm-hmm. lose their position uh, within within their institution, their academic institutions.
0: Yeah. So this was something that was of great concern to the organization and to the committee that this pattern of harassment, intimidation, prosecution, repression of scholars. Uh, there was one um, couple in particular that um, we had worked to uh, to with scholars at risk to, mm-hmm. to find a, an institution in the United States to um, take them in and give them a kind of safe haven here. Yeah. Uh, because there was indeed um, real risk to these scholars who had signed uh, the petitions.
1: And your organization is a global organization, correct? Mm-hmm. So something like uh, 3,000 scholars. Do you get letters from these people um, regularly who are in Turkey and just kind of fear for their livelihoods?
0: Um, the committee on academic freedom gets letters from yeah. individuals, uh, and then it um, works with different um, individuals. But the the real thing, the pattern that we've noted over the past year, is that this has escalated from 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 not just tracking the the fates of individuals, but there have been such collective action, and the numbers have become the the numbers of those impacted has has really you know it's, it, we're not talking you know single digit numbers of scholars who. Which is oftentimes the way our committee has op- had yeah. operated in the past, intervening for individual scholars we, we have continued to intervene in in specific cases, and I, I can talk later about the case of um, ishtar um, uh-huh. but the the what has happened is just the numbers of scholars yeah. in the past year who have, who have been um, who have lost their livelihoods uh, and so on. And, yeah. and it's, it's basically you know, what one can call a kind of social death, that they've lost their livelihoods, they're no longer to practice their, uh, able to practice the profession. We do get letters from indi- uh, mm-hmm. from individuals um, and, uh, and and work with them to, to bring the cases, individual cases or collective cases, to light.
1: Yeah, well, I, I'm going to be, be honest mm-hmm. here, Professor Byrne. I mean, I'm I did research. I knew that this was an issue because I follow free speech circles on Twitter and they're sounding the alarm bell about what's happening in Turkey, but then I, I read your letter, your organization's letter from August nineteenth, two thousand sixteen. I mean, this is you know five or so months ago, and by the time of your letter, since the coup, the Ministry of Education dismissed over twenty seven thousand employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Turkish Higher Education Council announced on Friday, August twelfth, that fifty three hundred academic faculty and staff across the country were suspended or under investigation. Uh, the figure included 4,200 faculty members and 1,100 administrative staff. And then addition, in addition, all 1,500 deans at universities across the country were forced to resign. And th- in many cases, there's been travel bans imposed on some of these academics. So even when you talk about situations like trying to find a home for these people here in the United States at institutions, in some cases, it, it seems to me that they can't even leave.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right um that, that in, in many cases people people cannot leave the country um, the important one important thing to note is that uh oftentimes I think there's this this sort of sense that that a lot of these clampdowns and firings and so on came after the coup, and therefore the coup legitimizes these actions um and there's uh there has been a sort of sense. That um, the international community needs to be sensitive to to Turkey's position and to Erdogan's position in light of a coup. Um, yet, on the other hand, uh, what we've noted with the scholars in Turkey is that this didn't begin with a coup; that there was a lead up to it, starting with the actually starting prior to these signatories, but really in escalations with the signing of the peace position. That there was a there, there was a, a concerted effort to move on in uncertain. Um, is clamped down on the universities and clamped down on free speech within universities and clamped down on um, the ability of scholars to to go on such social media as Facebook and Twitter and so on and use these media. I mean, some of our letters prior to the coup note this. Mm -hmm. It's that in the wake of the coup, the coup becomes an excuse to really move against and without using um, freedom of certain procedural law and so on, um, to move against scholars.
1: Yeah, I... When you Google uh, scholars at risk in (laughs) Turkey or or whatnot, one of the first articles that comes up is an article, an op-ed by Merv Kayeki, I think, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, uh, entitled My Father Academic Arrested in Turkey Purge. And she talks about how her father was rounded up, uh, interrogated for 10 days without access to a lawyer or to his family, Um, you know the government made use of draconian state of emergency rules such as suspects could be detained up for up to 30 days without any charges. Um, the constitution in Turkey and the European convention of human rights were suspended for three months. Uh, and the law is what the governor of each province uh, province in Turkey decides. Uh, her father was rounded up with, uh, I think it was something like 24 or 27, um, of his colleagues. And she said that, um, the, the European Union has come out and said that the lists of those who were purged after the coup seems to be strangely well planned, um, almost as if these were people who were on lists before the coup. Have you gotten any indication of that or do you suspect that might be uh, the
0: case? What had happened is that there were the list of the scholars who had signed yeah. the peace petitions and so on. and there, so, that, so that there was an, uh, a, a – the state was moving in the direction of prosecuting intimidating, prosecuting, harassing, and so on, these scholars. Um, the, the coup seemed to give license to the state to, to accelerate the crackdown on these scholars, um, many of whom um, uh, had absolutely no connection with the Gulen movement, which has... Mm-hmm. And can you abused, explain
1: what that is for us? Are you familiar with it?
0: With, um, the Gulen movement is a, it's a movement religious movement that at one point had actually supported uh, the Erdogan regime. Um, and its leader, uh, who's based in uh, Pennsylvania, had had uh, been an ally. Um, they, they, they've split uh, and there's, there has been the accusation that the uh, Gulen movement is a state within a state. So essentially, in, in the wake of the coup, there's been this effort to go after the state within a state. Um, they're scapegoating the Gulen movement. Well, no, no, I wouldn't say scapegoating because there there may or may not be evidence that that the Gulen movement is was behind the coup. I mean that that the state needs to bring evidence and so forth about the, the role of the movement in behind the coup or not. Um, and,
1: and and that's something that is really hard to do when all of your trials are behind closed doors, essentially.
0: Yeah, but but the the issue with the scholars and and, and um, the, the scholars is that. Many of these scholars who've been kind of rounded up um, or, or who've been dismissed and so on have no links to the Gulag movement. Mm-hmm. There are certain universities that may have gotten funding um, yeah. and so on. Just being an employee of that university doesn't necessarily mean that one is part of the movement. It just means that one works for this private university. Or if people got loans from a bank that um, perhaps was a... Um, you know, connected to that movement doesn't necessarily mean that they're a member of the movement at all. So it's, um, I mean, it's sort of like saying, you know, I'm a member of the Chase movement, because I I, I, I keep my money at Chase. (laughs) Um, It it, it sounds
1: eerily familiar to something we had here in the United States in the middle of the 20th century with the the McCarthyite movement, you know, to try and peg scholars uh, who perceived to have communist sympathies to uh, the Soviet Union, for example, and bringing them before government boards.
0: The active communists on the fingers of both
1: your hands, um, and in many cases um, later, forcing them out of their jobs
0: but th- but this is actually different to the extent that m- many of these scholars um don't even necessarily have have any sympathy at all with the so movement. so the the, the, the secular- connection
1: is even more tenuous oh,
0: it, it's completely tenuous because oftentimes these are secular scholars who mm-hmm. who are not members of a religious movement yeah. and would not be in sympathy with the with the gulan mm-hmm. movement. Um, so that um so that there there is no connection in in essence what what seems to be happening is that the state is is simply using the coup as an excuse to crush all the opposition to crush dissidents to crush journalists and to crush to crush scholars in Yeah.
1: Dissent. yeah what the this woman who wrote the article for the huffington post um said that initially three of the four judges overseeing uh the cases of these academics. Ruled that the academics should be released because there was no substantial evidence to put them behind bars. And then in a single day, all three judges were dismissed and loyalist ones were appointed. The judges, of course, after that, uh, ruled that the academics should go to prison. It seems like the fix is in for many of these academics from the get go. And if you are uh, one of these scholars, for example, who signs that petition in support of uh, the Kurds in the South, or um, you have any sympathies that aren't that isn't total loyalty to the Erdogan government, um, and you get rounded up and interrogated. It's almost as if you have no recourse. And um, she talks about the lawyer for her father, who said that the prospect is bleak for for his outcome, uh, and to not raise her hopes that anything positive will come come from the process. So that's scary. Um, do you have? Any specific stories uh, of people that work with, uh, within MESA or are connected to MESA, um, things that they've gone through in Turkey?
0: What I would say for the, the, the scholars who've been working with MESA now um, and who are based in the U.S., that uh, at this point, many um, are hesitant to speak out. Uh, to write uh, and to be highly visible or associated with anti-government activity, because they they have family back in Turkey. Ah, uh, uh,
1: yeah, I didn't even uh, think yeah, about yeah, that.
0: Yeah, so you know they have family back in Turkey. They would like to, you know, um, though some can still travel back and forth, but they, you know, they would like to do so um, and, and be able to have freedom of movement uh, and not put their families at risk. Um, some know quite clearly uh, that they, for the moment, cannot go back, that it, that it is a risk for them, um, and that, uh, that they would definitely um, be caught up in a sweep of academics.
1: Yeah. And what about for just uh, American or international scholars that study Turkey? I mean, this is part of the world that has such a rich history. I mean, are scholars not going there to study any of that history anymore? I mean, is there is there sort of a uh, sensitivity to what's happening there or um, fearfulness to what's happening is there that even if they, like you say, many of these scholars have no connection to the Gulen movement or to any movement that's in the opposition to Erdogan, I mean, you never know. It's the, the administration They're so erratic.
0: I mean, there have been um, a couple of foreign scholars who have been caught up in Sweeps. One was asked to leave. I think we mentioned him in in, in one of our letters. Mm-hmm. What I would say, in a certain sense, is you know, people will continue to do non-Turkish scholars will continue to do uh, their research. will continue to, to want to go to Turkey mm-hmm. to consult archives and so on. Yeah. Uh, and we'll do so, um, I think, also with the intention of letting Turkish scholars know that they're not alone, that they're not isolated. Um, and this is you know, this is an important point that Turkish scholars. Um, do listen to podcasts. <laughs> do, <laughs> they, they do read our, you know, do read our letters. They do. Um, they need to know that we're very concerned, that we are, um, that we are following what's happening, that we will do what we can do to help, um, and we're eager to hear their ideas too of what we can do to help them. Yeah. Um, but, but but letting them know that they're not alone by continuing to go and do research is an important part of what we can do.
1: Yeah, and was there any I know it was probably a long shot, but was there any response from John Kerry to the letter you sent to him or from I mean, was it a galvanizing force for those who work and study in the Middle East?
0: One of the earliest letters that we posted um to the Turkish government got a uh got a large number of signatories by, I saw that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By by other organizations. Um, that there was just, you know, a, a real sense that we ha- that so- we needed to do something in a, a, a number of organizations. I forget what the last count was. Well, but-
1: I'm looking at it here, and it's the College Art Association, the German Studies Association, Modern Language Association, Political Studies Association. I mean, these are big associations, uh, and wide-ranging cross-disciplinary associations. So it seems like there's... Uh, a general concern mm-hmm. for what's happening there.
0: Oh, uh, definitely. Um, we've been asked for information from, um, I think at one point the European Union wanted follow-up information, uh, which we provided. Um, we, we never, <laughs> we, we haven't heard back from the Turkish government itself, um, but, but there is a sense that when international attention is brought to bear on some of these cases, that, um, that it does lead to action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that silence is not is not the option for the international community. It's yes. not an option at all at this point. I mean, speaking out, drawing attention to, to the uh, inf- infringements on human rights, um, on freedom of speech, and so forth is, uh, is what we need to be doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, some just some of these numbers that we talked about earlier. I mean, are just so overwhelming that I think it's hard for people to wrap their minds around what's happening there. It's as if. The, the whole city of, of New York, the civil servants within New York and all the academics were rounded up and and imprisoned, interrogated or lose their jobs and then subsequently blacklist from any other mm-hmm. public service jobs uh, as some reports ha- have indicated. And the New York Times, uh, you were talking about just how uh, careful scholars have to be w- with doing research or reporting on what's happening in Turkey in some cases because they have family over there. The New York Times uh, I think, according to one report announced this past weekend, that they're no longer printing bylines from the reporters in Turkey just because of the fear that's happening with the crackdown on journalists there. Um, I mean, for those of us, there—almost everyone who I'm, I'm sure listens to this podcast—cares about the principles of academic freedom generally. I mean, what is there that we can do to help?
0: Well, as as we said, speaking out, uh, right. drawing attention. Um, one of the initiatives that the Middle East Studies Association is, is uh, launching now um, is to raise funds. So we continu- continue our work with scholars at risk, uh, but to kind of ramp it up yeah. uh, because of the numbers that we're dealing with now. Uh, whether these are scholars from Turkey or Syria or elsewhere in the region, um, the numbers are just uh, staggering. Uh, staggering at this point in time. So we're we're beginning uh, – uh, we will be beginning a real fundraising effort so that we can – um, increase the numbers of those that uh, that we can um give uh you know safe haven to and th- these are you know people who would have lost their jobs and have no options but also have the option to to uh to leave the country that's one thing that we will be working on and I, and I think that will be a really important kind of concrete initiative
1: mm-hmm. one of the things that strikes me about this situation is that turkey if you were to ask me about it 5 years ago I would have said it yeah, they're on the fast track to the European Union, they're, the, they're this quote-unquote liberal democracy, um, and if you would ask me where the greatest threats in the world are to academic freedom and to liberal democracy, I would have said places like China or Russia or North Korea, obviously, but never um, Turkey. How should we think about it as a state today?
0: And I think there were warnings I mean those who look back and this is looking back um, you know half a dozen years would have you know noted the the um, aggrandizement of power at the center mm-hmm. of the Turkish state uh, and the path that um, Erdogan and his and his party were on um, but there was a tremendous acceleration of this centralization of power this accumulation of power um, it, within the past year i mean it really uh, accelerated yeah. in, 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 a, in in a completely unprecedented way. It's such an authoritarian state. Um, it's not the only state in the world that's moving in this direction and has become uh, more authoritarian. Um, but it's just it, it it happened at such an alarming rate to a to a, or in a region that um, that in which you know intellectual. And cultural life seemed to find full expression um, and, and full freedom, mm-hmm. uh, and so the, the reversal is, is, is really dispiriting yeah. on so many on so many levels i
1: mean pr- prior to this year, what were some of the countries uh, if you're familiar with the, the, with this um, that your committee on academic freedom were most concerned about outside of Turkey
0: uh, the committee had uh, had tracked um, Infringements on academic freedom uh, in some of the Gulf states, in the um, particularly in the clampdown after um, the Arab so-called Arab Spring, yeah. and the clampdown on uh, in the region in places like Bahrain and, and elsewhere, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and also actually um, Egypt has been a country where there's been some been attention, particularly. Uh, the past few years. In the past, prior to that, I mean, the the committee had always been concerned with infringements of Palestinians' rights um, and and tracked that, um, had often been accused of paying too much attention to that in a certain sense Mm -hmm. and in in the broader context, in a comparative context, but had been deeply concerned with um, infringements of rights there. Uh, And in Iran, there was a a track record of... uh, infringements on academic freedom
1: yeah i remember this was a couple years ago when it first came out i was really struck um by the book and i forget the name of the author reading lolita in tehran uh which was just about sort of the the cloistered environment in which women could get together and have a reading circle of books like you know vladimir nabokov's lolita and other uh western classics and and sometimes uh, middle eastern classics we forget Um, a lot of us who don't work in this world every day that there was a very rich history in the Middle East, and it was for a very long time in the 20th century pretty liberal mm. in this respect.
0: Yeah. Um, we we had a, a case this past year of a scholar who had uh, who was a Mesa member um, who had been imprisoned in Iran uh, and uh, for for a number of months, um, and she was eventually released um, on health grounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, she attended the Mesa meeting. Um and she uh Is this the Mesa
1: meeting this November? This, this past oh, November
0: the vet, this past November, which was so gratifying for the membership and for the committee and uh-huh. for all of us to, to um to see her there. Mm-hmm. Um and but but it was also quite frightening to hear what imprisonment to scholars means. I mean basically uh you know, it's just such she, a foreign in, concept to hear us yeah. here in the United States. Yeah, she was in she was in solitary uh For some time, and she was essentially interrogated um, in lengthy sessions um, for her, essentially for her scholarship on feminism and and gender and so on.
1: Yeah. We at FIRE, we work with scholars all the time who do research that ruffles feathers, uh, and then they're brought in front of their administrations, or they're told politely in some cases to just maybe find a different area to focus on but never have we dealt with a case where one of our scholars that we, to whose defense we come is put in solitary confinement by the government. Uh, it's just uh, an incredible fact to um, sort of digest in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully there's never a time in America where we do have to worry about it. But I do think and I do hope that the listeners to this show will think about what it means for our colleagues and friends overseas. At your November meeting, was this a hot topic? I mean... Your organization does a lot of things. Um, was academic freedom at the forefront?
0: Uh, it, it definitely was one of the major issues on the agenda. When with uh, Homa Hudfar was attended the meeting, and we all, you know, were able to recognize that she was there. Um, we had started with the the intention of having uh, a special session on five years after the Arab Spring. By the time. Uh, the, the meeting actually rolled around. We had added on a special section on infringements on academic freedom in Turkey and um, Turkey and Egypt, and then added another special section on the impact of the Turkish coup on yeah. uh, general human rights within Turkey and so on so that uh, the the academic freedom issue is very much you know at the center of our our concerns it's not only I mean our you know colleagues who come to our meetings and so on but but our Colleagues are producing scholarship in throughout the MENA region. Well, great.
1: Um, I know we're running out of time here, but I just want to ask you, as I do all of my guests, um, if there's anything you're working on right now, uh, either within your organization or in your personal scholarship that uh, listeners who might want to learn about more about you and your organization that they can check out.
0: I um I had uh, completed a book The Orphan Scandal Christian Missionaries and the Rise of the Mus- Muslim Brotherhood came out uh, uh 2 years ago um and uh, that's a a work that focuses on the connection between the earlier uh international interventions in the Middle East um including American missionary interventions and their connections to the rise of Islamist movements um so uh, that, that's, that was a past work. I'm turning to, to new sorts of scholarship. Um, but for the present time, as president of the Middle East Studies Association, um, my, my sort of thoughts and energies are focused on helping our colleagues around the world yeah. uh, to uh, bring attention to their situations and to, um, and to hope for a safer and, and, and better future for all of us
1: and we can if for some of our listeners interested they can read some of these letters that you've written about Turkey or your organization has at um i, I believe it's mesana.org m e s a n a.org
0: yeah the um the letters are under the committee on academic freedom our most recent letter uh, looks at the situation of uh, ishtar Gözaydın and her situation. She's a she's a professor of um, someone who got a degree at Georgetown University International Law School, graduated from NYU Law School, and has a PhD in um, in law from Istanbul University. Mm -hmm. Full uh, credentials. She's one of the latest scholars that we've whose story we we wanted to bring attention to. Uh, She's currently um, under uh, arrest in Izmir. one of the scholars from Geddes University who was uh, fired and and then has come under arrest. Um, She's a human rights activist, uh, and we really hope that she's released and can can continue her work, her her very important work.
1: Yeah, well, I hope some of our listeners will go to your website, your organization's website, to learn more about her story and to the extent they can uh, help out in spreading the word about just what's happening in Turkey. Uh, Professor Barron, uh, thank you for joining us today, and uh, best of luck.
0: Thank you very much.
1: That was Middle East Studies Association President Beth Barron. To learn more about MESA and to read its letters, including its letters from the Committee on Academic Freedom to Turkey visit mesana.org. That is M-E-S-A-N-A M-E-S-A-N-A.org. org. I hope you've enjoyed these last two episodes on Turkey. I hope they've been enlightened. If you are as appalled by what's been happening in the country as I am, please help spread the word by sharing these
0: podcasts.
1: It's important that we let the Erdogan government know that the eyes of the world are upon it. Also, Consider supporting MESA and following the work of Mahir Zanalov, our previous guest, a journalist, on Twitter. This podcast is hosted, recorded, and produced by me, Nico Perino, and edited by Aaron Reese. To learn more about So To Speak, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com freespeechtalk, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sotospeakpodcast. You can also email us feedback at so to speak at thefire.org or call in a question for a future show at 215 315 Again, that's 215 Until next time, thanks everyone for listening.